Well, good morning again, everyone. It's good to see all of you here. This weekend has been different at my house. We've got my wife, Cody's wife, and Bruce's wife are all at a minister's wives retreat. And so we've, I've got my kids, and they, I'm sure, are really happy that mom's coming home today just because that means probably better food and better experience, more love around the home. There is uh, not that there's a lack of that. I I played some darts with them, and we got my son Gavin has a uh, he received a toolbox for his birthday this past week, and inside the toolbox was full of bullets, uh, Nerf bullets, and Nerf guns underneath that, and which was like the most creative gift, super exciting. And he opened that up, and so they've been playing Nerf War at my house. Both my boys and my daughter, who's five. And so they, they roped me in yesterday, and so I was like, okay, let's get in on this fun. And so and we played all sorts of games. It was like three hits, you're out, unlimited life, no, you know, just ducking and diving and running. And I hurt my shoulder, though. I don't know. I was feeling it yesterday, and I was like, what in the world did I do? And then I realized I was crawling around on the floor, and I must have injured myself on some level. But, uh, but it, it felt like... I said this last service, but it felt like those video games where you run by the gun, or you run by the weapon, and you can pick up anything you find. That was the rule. Any weapon is free game for anyone. So, you know, everything. The only thing you couldn't do was headshots. But it's so hard not to do that. <laughs> because if you've played video games, like, that's the, the instant, you know, that's the instant drop guy, you know. He dropped that guy with the headshot. I mean, obviously. So, in darts, it's almost impossible to avoid doing that until someone cries. And then... And then you'd start trying to aim for the torso. But I had a great time with that. It was a challenge to get my daughter dressed today. I put, I don't know what this is about girls' dresses or women, ladies' dresses, but what's with the inner, the liner inside of the dress? So I'm trying to put the dress on her, and then, and then it's just like she's like this because there's an inner liner. Okay, let's try that again. Put it in. One arm made it, but one arm didn't. Try it again. Finally got both in. So... And I got her on straight and everything. Got her hair brushed with the right brush. If you use the wrong brush, it hurts her hair. And there's a lot of challenges that I found this morning. So, well, let's pray and continue. Lord, just thank you for this time. Thank you for your your great love for us. And God, that song is a reminder of so many truths from from the Bible that we have this heavenly Father who is good and gives good gifts. We have a Father who loves us, who, who loves us enough to even correct us and challenge us and discipline us, who, who provides, Lord. You're perfect. You don't get it wrong, Lord. You don't have a bad day. And, um, Father, we're, we're so grateful for those truths. I pray that you'd speak to us um, out of your great love for us, Lord, that you speak to us through your word and open up our eyes and clarify the issues in our lives that we need to face. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're on the front end of this series called Beginning Again, and there's something that lurks in the shadow of our lives that really can prevent us from being able to do that, from being able to begin again, and that, that's our past. Our past, the things from our past, sometimes they don't leave us alone. It might be things that follow us around from our past, like a shadow. We may not notice that our shadow is there, but obviously everywhere we go, there's our shadow. And for some of us, there are these things that we have done in our past 
that just follow us around and will not leave us alone. For others, it could involve things done to us or things that have impacted us. And just like a monster hiding out in the closet, our past has this way of just keeping us stuck and not really leaving us alone. As these thoughts come back up, as these memories come back up, as these hurts come back up, as pain comes back up, and it can really function in that way, like this, this creature or this monster that just drags us back. We start trying to make progress, and it drags us back with these thoughts. And it could be from guilt over something we did. God gave us the emotion of guilt to kind of act like a dashboard, like a warning light on the dashboard, letting us know, hey, there's something going wrong underneath the hood. You want to open it up and see what's there. But so often, rather than really addressing what is there, we, we get buried deeper and deeper in guilt. Or it could be failure. There's another possibility for something in, in our past. is We had an expectation or we had a standard that we just didn't meet and we feel like a failure and we've allowed our past feelings to really define who we are. Or it could be things that have happened to us, hurts from the past that have led now to bitterness. And if someone has wronged you in your life, that can turn into resentment which can build into something called bitterness. Full-blown bitterness just eats away at our lives over time. Or it could be that you've experienced loss in your life. Many of us have. You've lost someone close to you. And and grief is a normal part of our lives. Uh, But the loss from... The loss just doesn't go away. It just remains with us. And losing someone creates ongoing grief. And so I want to look at all these different things this morning. And if we don't deal with grief, loss, guilt failure, if we don't deal with those things, then shame can set in. And shame is a strong, painful emotion emotion that's often caused by by guilt or by feeling disgraced. Here's a quote from a former, um, he's no longer living, but Lewis Smedes, he was a former uh, professor of theology. He wrote this, the difference between guilt and shame is very clear in theory. We feel guilty for what we do, we feel shame for what we are. A person feels guilt because he did something wrong. But a person feels shame because he is something wrong. And our past has this way of piling up and making progress feel nearly impossible as we think it's just not, it's not in me. I can't do this. I can't move forward. Because our past can feel like a giant pile of rubble because of the messes that we've been involved in or the things that have occurred. And so how do we begin to build a life out of rubble? That's what we're looking at this morning. I invite you to take out this listening guide. And, and here's where we're going to start at the top. Christ followers have a new outlook on their past. A new outlook on the past. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, King, looking in at verses 16 through 21. And the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, it's a follow-up letter. And it was written to a church in modern-day Greece. It's a church that Paul had started, or, and he was now overseeing and giving a lot of, of input and guidance to. And in his first letter to this church, which was a year prior, Paul had rebuked them for living outside of, out, out of bounds with some things that God had said. And there was some behavior in the church that was unacceptable to God, and so Paul rebuked the church and said, you need to get these things in order. And they actually repented, and they, they dealt with some of the sin in the church, and there were some twisted things going on. But things got resolved. And, but in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, which is about a year of time between writing, Paul's character and his ministry was attacked by some enemies and some critics and some even people that were 
really wanting to gain more credibility and spotlight in the church. And so there were some people that conducted somewhat of a smear campaign about Paul's reputation. And they started trying to smear him. And so he spends in Second Corinthians some of these chapters describing his ministry, the motivation of his ministry, where this is coming from, what it's built on. And as he's talking about his ministry, we get some insight into how, we, how should we view ourselves? How should we view others? Or how should we view our past if things have happened in our past that, that we're still, I'd say, carrying now? And so I want to pick up in verse 16. And let's read this. In verse 16, he says, From now on, and he's, he's basically turning a corner here because he's talked about what Jesus has done and how God's love you know, was demonstrated as Jesus came to live and then to die for us and that we could have life. Through Jesus. So he's saying, From now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Now when he's talking about according to the flesh, he's saying we don't evaluate people by the flesh, by the things on the outside. We don't evaluate, we don't need to anymore evaluate people by what they've done, by their appearances, by, by their accomplishments, by how good they've been. By the things on the outside, that's what he's saying, according to the flesh. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though, he said, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. He's saying, we used to even look at Jesus in that way. We would look at Jesus and we'd see on the surface this man and we judged Him as the man. We looked at His externals. But he said, we stopped doing that. We don't, we don't judge Jesus according to the flesh any longer because... There was more going on there. Obviously, Jesus was the Son of God who, who was raised from the dead. And so Paul is saying, he's talking about there's this drastic shift that Jesus has made in his perspective. His lens has been adjusted. Before Christ, Paul viewed himself and others based on their, on their deeds. Based on the good that they had done. Based on the bad that they had done. And he's saying, look, now... The way I look at myself, the way I look at others, has totally changed. Jesus has given me a whole new lens, Paul is saying, of how, of how to see my life, of how to see my past, of how to see the world around me, the people in the world around me. I'm no longer defined by what I do, but I'm defined now by what Jesus has done and given me to do. And look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning if anyone is a Christian or if anyone's a Christ follower, he is a new creation. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. The old is referring to the old creation. Okay, The old creation is... Adam was the head of the old creation. He was the first man. He was the head of the old creation. And the old creation was marred by sin and rebellion. And the old creation stood condemned and separated from God. But he's saying, look, the old has passed away in Christ. Behold, the new has come. There's been this major change. To be in Christ is to be a new creation. Paul, he's a guy that had worked extremely hard on all these external things in his life, on appearing to have it all together. He worked hard at religious duties, but he had some stains in his life. Like he'd done some things that were wrong. And before becoming a Christian, there were some things in his past that could have haunted him to move forward. But he's saying, in Christ, I'm a new creation. And that, that's true. If you're in Christ, this is a crucial perspective for building on the past. Because, and this is in your outline, using my past to prove my worth is really useless. 
Anytime we, we try to build ourselves up or build up our self-worth based on all that we've done, it's kind of a waste of time. And here's why. Two reasons. Number one, because I have to keep achieving and seeking accolades. If I'm trying to, to present myself and to base my worth off of what I do, then I have to keep working and working and working to be better. And the, these accomplishments or achievements, that, that's like a mirage. Because I have to keep moving forward to achieve more and more of the good feelings that I've experienced in the past. If you're a person that's achieved some things in life, you've, you've met some goals, there's this, seri- there's this uh, sense of accomplishment or even like a high that you got from that experience. Like, well, I felt really good. And you start chasing after that feeling again and again from the past. And we end up chasing the mirage. We go in circles because we never really reach a place where I'm totally secure in my worth. I have to achieve more and more good so I can feel okay in the moment, but quickly the the feeling of accomplishment just disappears. So I need to set out on a new thing and a new thing. And, And I can't really build anything because I keep... The reality is we all mess up in life. And every time we mess up in life, when we blow it, it kind of... It drags me down to the bottom. And it just multiplies the amount of time that I have to keep trying to achieve more in my life. So that's the first reason. The second reason is I never really effectively face and deal with my failure, my guilt, or my shame. If I keep looking to my past to prove my worth, then I never really deal with what's back there. I gloss over the failures. I don't really learn from them. I I refuse to admit guilt because it threatens to subtract from my value. I never admit my shame because I don't don't know how to overcome it. And so we, we just gloss over these things. And Paul, he's saying that Jesus, He gives us exactly what we need to get over the past. He forgives us. He remakes us. We can be a new creation. There's this new person, he says. He says, in Christ, you have this brand new identity. You are a new creation. This is... Specifically, this wording has to do with the creative activity of God. How God creates something brand new. There was the old man that was marred by sin, but God in Christ gave us the opportunity to have this new, just a whole new life. To be created again, in a sense. And the way life is, we have to keep dealing with our past to move into the future. Because otherwise, the past will just rob us of the present and, and we can't really build. And now the past can be decades ago or it can be moments ago. It could just be a few seconds ago. If you, if you messed up this morning, you know, that, that, that's the past. And so we move throughout our day and we start thinking or we start saying or doing things. And sometimes those things are wrong. But it's at that point where we get to decide, what am I going to do with it in the moment? And to build on the rubble, we have to figure out what are the ways that I respond to these different emotions from the past. And so Paul, he just shows us the way to deal with the past. Let's look at verses 18 through 21. He says, all this is from God, meaning the new creation. This is from God. It's not something you did. God did this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Because of sin, mankind is God's enemy. And, and apart from Christ, we're out of fellowship with God. We can't, we can't really know Him personally. And in Christ, God reconciled the world to Himself. He brought that, that back together. The ability to relate to God, He brought that back together. He restored our ability 
to really approach God and to really know Him personally. And he goes on and he said, this ministry, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now he's just talking about here what his ministry is all about. He's trying to help others get to know God and walk with Him and follow Him. And his whole ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. And this actually, this is our ministry. If you're in Christ, you're, you want others to, to experience life with God and connect with Him and have their sin and have a way to deal with their sin and their past. And then verse 21, he says, For our sake... He made him, this is God made Jesus, basically, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is an important verse here. This verse describes a theological term called imputation, and it's actually a term that's borrowed from the banking world, where someone is credited, or something is credited, or put to another person's account. Someone credits to your account. Something that was not yours. It's been credited to you. And so this verse here is, when Jesus died on the cross, if you look at the verse, when Jesus died on the cross, all of our sin was imputed to Him. It was put on His account. And He was treated by God as though He had actually committed our sins. And those sins. And the result is, all of those sins have been paid for by God. They're no longer held against you, if you're in Christ. Because you've trusted Christ as your Savior. He paid the penalty for your sin. But even more, God has done this. God has put to our account the very righteousness of Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life. And so, what was imputed upon us, what was put into your account, was the righteousness of Jesus. Now, this is what completely changes us when we look at our past. is the righteousness of Christ. Because it changes the way that I deal with my wrong. It changes the way that I understand the wrong that others have done to me. Because I can be honest. And I can admit my wrong because Jesus is... He's my righteousness. I can, I can admit, man, I blew it. I'm not perfect. But I've already been credited with His righteousness if I'm in Christ. I don't have to be perfect anymore. He was perfect. And He died so that I could be given His righteousness. Now, now here are some of the things that tie us to our past. There's things that I've done. There's like my failures. It's easy to get stuck on a thought loop and just rehearse the failures of our life over and over again. We feel really stupid about the things that we've done. And we have, we have many failures in our life. God, He wants to build for the future out of your past, even out of your failures. A guy that I take great comfort in the Bible is Peter. Peter was Jesus's, one of His right-hand men. He walked with Him. He saw the miracles. He saw Jesus' power displayed. And yet Jesus... You know, three times he denied, or Peter denied Jesus three times. He denied that he knew him three times at his arrest. This was a major life failure. And Jesus, he told him, this is what's going to happen. And Jesus actually told him before it happened, this is what's going to happen. And when it happens, his instruction to Peter was, you're going to use this failure to encourage others. Strengthen your brothers, Peter. You're going to get back up. You're going to strengthen your brothers. And I find encouragement in that. Out of Peter's failure, out of my failures, if I'll be honest 
with others, that can strengthen a number of people. You can strengthen a number of people if you'll be honest with others about your failures because they're going to think, well, I'm not the only one who messes up. I'm not the only one who sins. I'm not the only one who, who really blows it. Chuck Colson or Charles Colson, he was, he was a man who was put in prison. He's no longer alive. I think he passed away two years ago. But he was put in prison as for his part in the Watergate scandal with President Nixon. And he spent nine months in prison. But he said that his greatest failure in his life was the very thing that God chose to use the most in his life. That, that created a platform for a ministry that he formed called Prison Ministry. And uh, he, I think, breakthrough or breakpoint. And he had the different ministries that grew out of helping people recover from failures in their life. But no one escapes failure. Not a person in this room. No one escapes it. And God, He can use the deep things that He builds in you through failure to really encourage other people. I want to encourage you on that. People are most encouraged really through your weaknesses, not by your strengths. They're more encouraged as you open up with them about your weaknesses. Something else that ties us to our past is guilt. We mentioned this earlier. You know, if we don't do the right thing with our guilt, it just kind of keeps us, it morphs into shame, and it keeps us at the bottom of a heap in life. And we're never really able to build up from there. And unresolved guilt in life is kind of malignant. It spreads to other things, and we can get twisted up in our thoughts that condemn us and accuse us. Whenever we do wrong, we instinctively try to pay for our wrong. But again, since Jesus already died to pay for our sin, we don't need to do that. It's already been paid for. And we can spend our entire lives trying to pay for wrongs that Jesus has already paid for. And so what we're told in the Bible when, we, when, we're, when the warning light is coming up of guilt, we're told to confess it. Confess our sin to the Lord. If we confess our sin and agree with God that it was wrong, we can find forgiveness. We can find cleansing. A couple other areas. There are these parts of our past that, that were done to us or harm brought upon me. One is through bitterness. The flow of bitterness moves from injury to hurt to disappointment to resentment. And it can morph into bitterness, full-blown. And whenever we let things grow into bitterness, it can just wreak havoc in the rest of our relationships especially. A bitter person tends to sour relationships because it's kind of like contaminated water. It just The water supply goes bad. It, it's all bad. And so bitterness has a way of souring our life. I, I began in ministry almost 20 years ago, which sounds strange to say, but almost 20 years ago I was a youth minister. And at one point I was serving in a church that, that I was really excited to be at. And I had got this opportunity. Someone said, hey Josh, I want you to come serve in this church. And, and I, I took a role as an intern in this church. And the plan was to stay there until it became a full-time position. The, the pastoral staff had talked to me about that. I was nearing graduation from college. And, and it was, for me, kind of like the opportunity I'd always wanted. And, but at one point, I started realizing, as I paid attention to the interaction of, of staff members, and as I just began to uh, study the philosophy of ministry, I could see that their philosophy of ministry and approach to ministry was so different than what was on my heart and what, what I was seeing myself doing in the future. And so I hit a point that it was clear that this was not a good fit any longer. 
And I was nearing, I mean, I was months away from graduating and getting married. And that was my job that I had planned to work in upon marriage. In fact, I promised my father-in-law. He said, well, how are you going to take care of my daughter? And I said, well, I've got this job and it's, it's going to be full-time come graduation. And so, but I realized I, can't, I can no longer work at this place. This is, this is not a good fit. And so one day I tried to resign. And the executive pastor, this was a church of over a thousand people, they had an executive pastor who pretty much led most of the church, it seemed like, and he held most of the power. Uh, he, he took me to lunch with a group of other pastors and he just said, Josh, we want you to stay. We think you can change these things in you that you're, you know, that you're feeling conflicted in and just, you can just change these things and adopt more of our philosophy and, and I just said I appreciate that and I appreciate the opportunity you've given me but I just don't think this is a good fit and and then he started trying to use fear tactics and he said to me he said if you walk away from this you will regret it for the rest of your life and he said you won't find another opportunity like this and I thought that may be true <laughs> and I there was a big gulp but I I sensed that this was just not the right place and so I just said I need to just resign and he said okay alright and he said okay you know he pretty much said you can leave then and we're out to lunch and I was like well can I can I just finish up two weeks my two weeks and he's like yeah you can you can do that and so they gave me two weeks and on Monday I show up to work and all my stuff is packed up in a box and I realized so I did something wrong and um, and so they said, and he basically fired me. He basically said, you're done today. And he didn't fire me, but it felt like he was firing me. He said, you're done. Um, you told somebody you were leaving. I said, yeah, I did. <laughs> but he was an adult. And he didn't like that. So he just said, we, we can't have, we don't know what you're going to say about our church. And I just said, well, I didn't say anything bad. I just told my closest friend here that I'm leaving. And he said, well, you need to go. So I packed up my stuff for me and I was, and then all the pastors met me in the hallway, like a like a like a cheering section, like giving me hugs, like saying goodbyes, and hey, brother, this was really good. And I was just like, I couldn't hardly say anything. I just walked through this gauntlet because I was afraid if I said anything, I'd just totally lose it because <laughs> I was so frustrated and angry. And the way that they treated me at the end there was really what the issue was: the philosophy of ministry of people really matter people are really important and there was there was just the processing through of people in mass quantity was what mattered most and less relational and but I was angry and I tell you all that because I, I was angry I was hurt and quickly that moved into resentment and bitterness and for about six months I just let it stew and I, I, I would think of these two men in that church that one the one who packed up my box and the one who I worked most closely with that didn't say anything when I, when I really needed someone to speak up and make that go a little smoother. I was just frustrated. And I don't know if you've ever been there before, but that's how bitterness is. It just chokes out the life. And I, and I got to the next church and I was, my wife and I were married. We got to the next church. And one of the things they asked me, is there any bitterness or anything in your past, unclear relationships? You're going to need to deal with those things. And so that began a process of working through the hurt of the past. But I want to encourage you. You got to work through those hurts. I wanted to just stuff it. I couldn't do it. It was. It followed me into the next church, 
into the next relationships. It was going to sour some things. You've got to deal with bitterness. Also, loss. Grief is a normal part of life. We all deal with it. We all deal with grief. Whenever we lose someone close, there's really only one place that you can turn for complete comfort, and that's to God. He is the God of all comfort. And it's, it's grieving is normal, but do not allow grief to block you from, from building into your future. Sometimes we don't... I've seen many times where people, they stay. They stay there. And they don't, they, don't, they don't work through their grief. They don't turn to God. And, they, and they, they can't build forward. So what do you do with all these things, these different areas? Here's how. Flip it over on the back. How to build on the rubble. If I've blown it, number one, accept responsibility and confess my sin. So this is tied specifically to guilt. If I've blown it, I confess it to God or to anyone I've offended. This is a moment-by-moment thing. If we don't learn to deal with things quickly, we, you know... If we learn to deal with things quickly, we can stay out of just wallowing in the rubble, in the mess. Then after I confess, I, I ask, you know, I, part of that is I'm just asking God to forgive me. I agree. Confession means, the word in Greek means to say the same thing. And so, God, you say that lying is a sin. I say the same thing. I confess that that, is, that was a sin. That was wrong. Or you say that lust is a sin, God. God, I agree. That was wrong to lust. Would you forgive me? So you're asking forgiveness. You're agreeing with God that it was wrong. And then you're asking Him to forgive you. And what He does, He forgives. 1 John 1, nine. This verse says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He, he wipes the slate clean. And then daily we yield to Jesus and we keep building into the future. Just keep yielding. And then if others have caused the damage and you're bitter towards them, the point we need to make here is the step is forgiveness. Forgive them. There are two aspects of forgiveness. There is an emotional and a decisional aspect. When it comes to the first one, I'm going to bring, allow these guys to bring it, bring it up here. Here we are. The first, the first aspect, though, of forgiveness is, is a decisional one. And then the second one is emotional. We make the decision first to forgive a person because Jesus has told us to do so. And it's really like, Father, with your help and because of your forgiving me, I forgive them. It's just a, it's a decision to release them of the debt that they owe you. God, I forgive them of what they've done. Now, I had to do this. I had to work through that with those hurts through that that sour ending with that church, I had to just come to the point where I said, God, I, I am going to forgive them. I wrote a letter and I offered to sit down and meet and make sure we were reconciled and we were on the same page. But I also just had to say, God, I, I just, I'm letting this go. I'm not going to stew on this any longer. They're forgiven. If I see them again, um, I'm not going to treat them as if this is still there. I'm, I've forgiven them. I was preparing myself. When you do with the decision, you prepare yourself for the emotions that are going to come up. Because emotionally, you have to keep working through the emotions over time. Whenever you're tempted to rehearse the memories of whatever they did to you, you just kind of chuck the recording and you remind yourself of all that you've been forgiven. And you really can't build on the, on the rubble of your past unless you understand the power of forgiveness. Look at Ephesians 4, verses 31 
and 32. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. See, these don't belong, he's saying, in the Christ follower. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. See, His forgiveness of us is what allows us to forgive others. The fact that we understand the debt that we owed God for a life of sin, doing all that we have done to sin against God, that God has forgiven us, that, that, that allows us to be able to extend forgiveness to a friend, even to an enemy to someone who's really come against us and hurt us. That's what allowed me to, to come to grips with I have to forgive these, these guys and send that, that bitterness away. Years later, I mean, I, one of the things I prayed was, Lord, could you take care of these relationships and mend this in the future? And, and even just, God, would you protect my, my reputation? Some of the thoughts that were coming to my mind was, what if the pastor's right and then I'll never be able to do this kind of ministry again? Or what if, what if this is it? What if this is the last time I can do what I love to do? Years later, I bumped into one of those one of the staff members who I worked most closely with, and he just stood there the day that that they pretty much told me to to leave. And um, he he was at the mall. I was at the mall, and I was grabbing food at the food court. And he he called me by name, and he's got a distinct voice. He's Josh, and I was like, Oh my gosh, I haven't heard that name in years. Turn and see this guy, and he just. I gave him a hug and he's like, first thing out of his mouth, I am so sorry for what happened back there years ago. And he had lost his job. Um, he did something really, really bad. And he lost his job. The man who, the executive pastor that, you know, that had pretty much booted me out, um, he had lost his job. He's embezzling a million dollars. And there was all of this fallout and sin corrupting the organization of their church. And my wife and I at that point, or she was my fiancé at that point, we couldn't see all of what was going on below the surface, but there was a lot going on that we could tell it wasn't healthy. Enough so to where the Lord just said, you need to just move on. And, but being able to reconcile with um, the other guy in the mall that one day, I, since I had already dealt with the decisional and the emotional aspect of forgiveness, when I saw him, I was able to genuinely give him a hug and be able to just reconcile our relationship. We've had lunch a few times since then. And, but that is critical that, that you work through this process. Otherwise, you'll be stuck there and it will eat up other areas. The last thing here is related to loss. Trust God to do good in spite of loss. Trust God to do good. When it comes to the pain of our past, there really is. There's only one person who can provide complete comfort. Whenever we start looking for others to say the right thing or to do the right thing, it, it is a mirage. They will not be able to pull, you know, to, to take the, the sting out of the pain that you're in. But look at what Second Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. He's the only one that really can in this way, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Once we've experienced that comfort ourselves, we can now turn that to others with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, when it comes to hurt, the hurt of of grief and the loss of grief, you know, there is, for those who are in Christ, there is hope because death, which really came as a judgment for all of our sin and rebellion, you know, apart from sin, we would have lived forever in what God had made. But because of sin, 
This whole new thing God did to initiate bringing us back into relationship with Him. But the sting of death is quite painful apart from Christ. But what Jesus did is He, he, he took the sting out of death. And so there is hope for those that you have lost that are in Christ. And if you're grieving through the fact that you're not really sure, again, turn to God. He, he's the only one that can help you work through that type of pain that is very real. I want to share with you briefly a testimony. It's a brief video of how God works to help us build out of a rough beginning. This is a video from a, a gal named Brianna. She's a lady from the church that I came from before we started this church. And Brianna has a, a tremendous testimony of, of God just helping her build beyond the rubble of her past. So let, let's take a look. Hi, I'm Brianna Elliott. I'm 25 and I'm a member at Church in the Valley. Growing up, um, I lived in foster, the foster care system. When I was eight, my brother and I were abandoned and uh, left with my alcoholic grandmother and step-grandfather. During our time there, um, we, all, we both faced several different um, forms of abuse and it got really bad at one point that we both were kind of planning how we could run away and get away from it all. Uh, instead of doing that, I decided to talk to my social worker and let her know what was going on. So we were both um, placed into different homes, um, different family members and different group homes. We weren't placed together anymore and it was really hard for both of us to deal with it. Uh, I usually would start off my process by praying to God, but really found no relief in that because I didn't have a relationship with Him. So. Uh, I would lash out by throwing tantrums, being disrespectful to everybody, and just being defiant as much as I could. During this time, I just really felt a lot of anger towards many adults that were in my life, and mainly my mother and my grandmother, and I just just had a constant anger with everyone around me. I also felt guilty for treating the people that were trying to help me, just lashing out to them constantly. I just was kind of being pulled both ways, feeling guilty and angry, and really just felt like I was in two different worlds at that point. Well, I started coming to church a little more constantly in 2005 with some family members, and I was really relieved hearing messages that I could relate to and people I could relate to and I was just beginning to build a relationship with people within the church first and which then moved me closer to God and got me looking into a Bible and really started focusing on what it was that God wanted me to do. Um, I was able to start realizing that actually God had answered all those prayers as a child and just not the way that I wanted or expected them to be answered because he really did protect me during that time and when I met other kids in the group home hearing some things that happened to them I just knew that I had it good compared to them and I knew that that was God protecting me. Um, in 2013 I decided to get baptized and become uh, a member at CIV and started really seeing what it is to be a servant and 
be around people who also were serving God and people around them and the love that they exuded just really refreshed my life and I was able to experience people apologizing to each other on a regular basis and forgiving and really helped me mend some wounds that I had where either I had done the deed or what people have done to me just forgiving them without hearing an apology and it was just really refreshing for me to get so involved and now I can just live my life and rewrite the script that seems like was already written for me before I knew it and I think that God and really being at CIV and being with different members and being involved has really made a huge impact in my life. That's a great picture of what God can do with a person's past. And, and I, don't, I don't know what may be in your past. Maybe there's stuff that is really lurking in the shadows. You feel like it just keeps coming up. And maybe today you're at a point where you're like, I need to begin to face these things and deal with these things. And we want to be a help in that way. I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage. Something I would say is, if God's brought some things up to the surface that you feel like, I need to have a conversation, I would encourage you first, if you're in a small group, talk to your small group leader, just for prayer. Just hey, I'd like to just ask you to pray for me. You don't need to go into all the details if you don't feel comfortable with that. But maybe just for the sake of asking someone else to pray for you as you're working through a past hurt, grief, bitterness, and then maybe over time that you'd begin to open up more. But just really in allow, allowing God... Um, to, to show you His love and His care and to really help you move forward from the place that you're in. On the back of your connection card, you'll notice there's a couple next steps and I want to draw your attention to these quickly. The first one is, if you've not yet come to the point where you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you feel like, I'm still trying to depend on myself, my own good works, my own effort, on the, on the outside, I'm trying to put a nice life together on the outside, this is really a decision to say, I give up doing that ready to yield my life to Jesus Christ and to receive His righteousness in place for my life of sin. This is a free gift that God offers to you in the person of Jesus out of His great love for you. And so if you're ready to make that decision, check that box and we will follow up with you. Last week there was four people that indicated that they wanted to do that last week. And so if you're still praying through that or mulling on that or in the process of thinking that through, we would love to to know where you're at on that and follow up with you and just clarify what that really means. The second one here is I want to build on the rubble. And you see there's some different options for you to circle. And just consider maybe a specific area that God has brought to your mind. Let's pray. We're going to be receiving the offering in just a few moments, but let's let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your great love for us. We, we ask you to help us, Lord, in the process of healing from our pasts. We need your help, God. More than anyone else, Lord, we need to turn to you. So we ask you now for the help that you would offer to us, Lord. In the variety of ways we've looked at this morning, I pray you'd help us, challenge us to take the the steps of faith in obedience to what you're leading in. Bless the offering we're about to receive. We offer it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.